Hello. This will be my last sermon, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Some of you seem happy. Um, by the way, we bluffed you a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Mary, <laughs> the mother of Jesus. And, uh, uh, and despite what it says in the sermon bulletin, uh, we're not really talking directly about uh, dealing with unsettling news. But anyway, so, um, yeah, so let it snow. Now, uh, all of you know this song, right? Uh, whether you know that you know it or you don't. Uh, and that's because every, like, the last two months of the year from November onwards, whenever you walk into a shopping mall, somewhere someone is playing this thing, along with a whole bunch of other songs that annoy me. But anyway, so this is a song. So um, now I'm not going to, um, you know, like, I'm not going to sing the song for you. Uh, and I'm not going to put up all of the song, but I want us to just look at the lyrics of the first stanza of this song. I just want you to take a look at this for a minute. Right, so it says, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've got no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. And the question that I have for you is this. Is this a, a Christian song? Now, I know that it doesn't directly you know, speak of Christ or of God or, or anything religious, but at least indirectly, um, is this a kind of sentiment that we can agree with, that Christians can, uh, can say this is, it's not wrong, it is in line with the Scriptures? Now, one way to look at the song, and uh, you know, I'm taking some liberties, but if you look at the entire lyrics, I think the main idea that the singer is trying to say goes something like this, and he goes... Because I have your love, and he's probably talking to his girlfriend or whatever, uh, I'm not bothered by the storm outside, you know. The weather outside is frightful, but in here we're, we're okay. You know, I have you, you have me, the fire's going, uh, we're together, and in here we're okay. So um, because I have your love, um, I'm not bothered by the storm outside. And so if I reframe it like this, would you then say this is a, a sentiment that Christians can agree with? Um, maybe you can say that, you know, because I have, you know, God's love, um, I'm not bothered by the storm. Um, is that, no, so, so some of you are like kind of crinkling your eyebrows, so I know that it's a bit of a stretch. But in any case, the kind of larger question that I want to talk about is this, and that is this. Um, life's storms, you know, the snows outside. Um, and you have to remember that for the most part, when we're talking about let it snow, we're not talking about like, you know, nice powdery snow coming down on your head. We're talking about like this snowstorm, you know, the weather outside is frightful, it's freezing, it's terrible, and you don't want to be out there. And um, when I'm thinking about storms in the sermon, I'm thinking about storms in the widest possible sense. And I'm thinking about bad things that happen, and it can mean, uh, you know, personal struggles, you know, something that you're going through, um, an, an issue of a relationship with your spouse or your family or, or someone that's near to you, um, or an issue of your health, or an issue of your work, um, you know, something they've been struggling with for a long time, or maybe larger than, you know, individual personal things, you know, something in your, in your family or in your workplace or in your community or in your country, something that, that hurts you, that burdens you, that bothers you. And so how do we deal with uh, these life's storms? And at least for now, I want you to take you know, just a couple of seconds and think, you know, what, what's the biggest thing you're going through? What, what's the biggest storm that um, you are confronting or you see yourself confronting uh, in the next couple of weeks? And I want you to kind of hold that in your mind as we go on to the, next of the rest of the sermon. And so the larger question that I want to try and ask and answer in this sermon is this, and how does Christmas, how does the coming of Jesus Christ how does that change the way that we as Christians 
relate to life storms. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to look at a couple of Christmas texts, and we're going to look at texts from the Gospel of Matthew and uh, of Luke and of John, uh, kind of like in chapters 1 and 2, uh, around the birth of Jesus, but also at the end of uh, the Gospel of John. And this is the answer that I'm going to try and get to, and I hope that you'll agree with me when we get to later. And it goes something like this. Um, how does Christmas affect the way that we relate to life storms? Uh, and the answer from the Gospels and the Christmas passages is this, that Christmas is the coming of a new king, and he changes the way that we relate to storms in two main ways, right? So that's what I'm going to say, that Christmas is the coming of a new king, and he changes the way that we relate to life storms um, in two main ways. Now, um, Christmas is the coming of a new king, and in order to understand that better and the and the accounts in Matthew and Luke better, you have to remember like what the historical context was. You know, Im- imagine if that you and I were living in uh, first century Palestine, and at that time, it wasn't like Singapore. You know, kings changed all the time, and they would change unpredictably. And it's not like in Singapore, where you kind of know even before the next election who's going to win and who's going to be in charge. And it's not even like, you know, say, the, the United States, where once in a while there's this, like, upheaval and, you know, somebody unexpected wins the election. But you still kind of know that it's going to be regular. Like, every four years, uh, there's going to be an election and there's going to be a possibility of change. It was unpredictable because every now and then a king would kind of, like, drop dead of disease or be killed by his family or some other person who wants to take his throne or be deposed by a larger emperor uh, of a country that is overseeing your own country. And so kings would change all the time, and it was unpredictable. And when kings change, that news that a new king is now ruling was important. And the reason why it's important is when the new king comes to your town riding through with his uh, with his uh, army and his chariots, you don't want to be that one blur guy who's still praising the name of the old king, right? Because that's a great way to get your head chopped off or something. Uh, but so it is important to hear and be aware of who is the king and announcements of who the king is. And so with that in mind, let's look at uh, the Christmas text in Matthew and Luke. And so this is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And for the rest of the scriptures, I'm going to, the rest of the sermon, I'm going to be speaking from the ESV. So this is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, and behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born? Now, I don't want you to look at your Bible for a minute, and we're going to have like a pop quiz. And the quiz is this, what do they say? Do they say, where is he who was born the Son of God? Or do they say, where is he who was born the priest, the, the prophet, the savior, this religious figure? Or, or where is he who was born the third person of the Trinity? Um, they don't say any of that. Uh, you know, right, in the MCQs, it's always the last one. It's none of the above. That's a hot university tip. Right? So um, it's none of the above because what they say is this. Um, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And this is what's fantastic. You know, the guy who heard this news, it's the real king, you know, it's you know, the, the old king. So there's Herod and he hears this and he's troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And rightly so. So because it's something like, you know, if, if a foreign diplomat came to Singapore and then happened to ask around, hey, we heard that Lee Sen Lung is gone and some, somebody new is coming to take his place. And imagine if Lee Sen Lung heard that or, 
Or if somebody came up here and, you know, told Pastor Kokfai, Hi, Pastor Kokfai, I heard that you've been fired and somebody new is your senior pastor. So that, that, that's the kind of sense that give this gives. Um, now, I want you to look at the Gospel of Luke as it also speaks about the coming of Jesus, the coming of the King. So this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to, 30, uh, 26 to 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled um, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him, and look at this bit, the throne of his father, David, the greatest king who ever ruled Israel. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so do you see this, that in the Christmas passages in both Matthew and Luke, it speaks of the coming of the king of the Jews, of the throne that he will be sitting on, of the reign that will never end, of the kingdom that Jesus will come over. And this is, this is crucially important for us to keep in mind about Christmas, because the thing is this, um, Christmas is fundamentally at heart about the coming of a new king. What do we think of when we think of Christmas. Because if the first thing that comes to mind is something like this, you know, it's Jesus' birthday, like happy 2016 years old Jesus. That's not what it's about. The main idea of Christmas is not that it's Jesus' birthday as if he didn't exist before that and then he existed on you know, the day that he became incarnate. But we celebrate Christmas at heart because it's about the coming of a new king, and that needs to be the, the primary category, the first thing that comes into mind, the heart of what Christmas is about to us. It's not Jesus' birthday. It's the day that we celebrate the coming of a new king. Now, what does that mean for us? You know, if Christmas is the coming of a new king, um, what does that mean for the way that Christians relate to life storms. And, and these are the two main ideas that I want to talk about. And the first idea we're going to kind of draw from uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18 to 21. Let me read this out. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus comes as the new king, and what does that new king do? He saves us from our sins. And 
most of us are believers, but it's never a bad thing to be reminded of this. When I asked you to think about the largest storms in your life, the, the thing that you most wish God to do something about, uh, the biggest issue that you're facing, somewhere down there, um, it's because of sin. Everything that's wrong with the world is somewhere at the bottom because it's a broken world because of, of sin, because um, you and I in our natural state, we're separated from God. We have chosen to go our own way. And that's the most important storm that needs to be put right. And um, for some of you, those of you who don't know Jesus, um, whatever is wrong with your life, whatever is wrong with the world, everything that's, that's broken and out of joint, all of that comes back to because you're separated from God. And that's the one most important thing that you need to be saved from, that you need to be put right. And so at Christmas time, as Christians across the world, you know, celebrate the coming of a new king, um, now's a new time to be considering um, allowing this king to come and reconcile you to God and be your Lord and your Savior and your king. Um, and if you'd like to talk to one of us about what that means, what it means to accept Christ as your Lord or your Savior, come and um, talk to us after the service. Uh, me or Pastor Chiming or, or any of the people around the front should be able to speak with you if you want to find out more. And so that's the first big way in which uh, Jesus affects the way that we relate to life's storms, and that's he saves us from sin. But the Bible also speaks about more than this when he talks about how Jesus saves. And I want us to pay attention to this, to Luke's version um, of the Christmas stories. When you hear this, the song of Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah. So Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, and the Spirit fills him, and this is what he says. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 75. And his father, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, redeemed or saved his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke, as God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from, what does he say? What does Zechariah say? That we should be saved from MCQs again. Um, does he speak of how Jesus comes and saves us from our sin or saves us from judgment or saves us from hell? And these are right things. These are important things. But is this what Zechariah speaks of? Uh, and the answer, as usual, is uh, none of the above. Because hear what Zechariah says that we should be saved from our enemies and the, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers, that Jesus' coming would show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. And here is primarily thinking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. And this is found in Genesis 12 and, the, and in a couple of other places in Genesis. The broad, sweeping promises of blessing that is given to Abraham. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, and that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
what on earth is Zechariah talking about? That Jesus would come, this baby would come and save us from our enemies and give us mercy and restore the promises to Abraham and allow us to serve him without fear at a time when um, Israel you know, happens to be lorded over by this pagan foreign kingdom of Rome. What, what is he talking about? Now, why would Zechariah say this kind of thing about Jesus? Now, is it, doesn't he know, doesn't he understand that what Jesus is coming to do is save us from your sins? And so he's going to take care of you when you die, but until then, like, sorry, dude, you're on your own. Isn't that what Zechariah is supposed to be able to say? But that's not what he says. So is, is he wrong? Is Zechariah just, you know, just a bit dotty and old and he doesn't know what he's talking about? But remember verse one, chapter 1, verse 67. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. This is a word from God. Why does he say this about Jesus? And it's a long answer that draws upon um, a, a large number of different parts of Scripture. But don't worry, Alvin, I'm not going to do that, uh, you know, to all of the texts right now. Uh, one of them, at least, is in Romans chapter 8, verse 21 to 24. And this speaks of how Jesus' work is part of the redemption of all creation, part of the restoration of all creation, all things. Uh, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 21 that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so all things, not just people will be saved through the work of Christ, but all things, all of creation is going to be restored through the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, for we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. What is our hope of salvation in Jesus Christ? It's not just that the world's going to, you know, end up in flames and, and, and it's going to, you know, be thrown in the ash heap. But you and I, we're, we're going to be okay. The hope of salvation in Christ is for the redemption of all things. So how do we think of Jesus' work? Do we think of Jesus' work in Christmas when we speak about this as the new king? Do we think of him primarily as a lifeboat, something that kind of slowly takes you away from the Titanic as it sinks because, you know, too bad, you just can't do anything about the rest of that? Or, or do we view Jesus' work as a part of the redemption of all of creation and of putting all things right? How do we think of Christmas? How do we think of Jesus' work? So Christmas is about the coming of a new king who saves us from the storms. And the primary, the most important one, is how he saves us from sin. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, um, he calls you to accept him as your, as your king. But he also saves us from all suffering, all storms, all things that are wrong with the world. Now, what, what does that mean? Like Zechariah... We aren't saved from that immediately. I mean, Zechariah lived and died, and probably, you know, uh, he 
was still alive at the time that, um, you know, Jerusalem was um, sacked in AD 66, and the people of God were scattered. And the kings of the earth, the evil powers of the world still seemed to triumph, but Zechariah was still able to sing and give thanks to God for the coming of his salvation. Um, There are a couple of doctrines that help us to make sense of this, but I'm not going to go into that today. And those are the doctrines of the movement from creation to new creations, the doctrine of what the covenant is about in the Old Testament and how that's fulfilled in Jesus. And there's ideas about eschatology, about the end times, about what Jesus comes to do at the end of all days. Um, but aside from the doctrinal, the big words, what, what does that mean for, for us? You know, If Jesus comes to save us from sin and from all suffering in some way, how do we take hold of that? How do we take refuge in Jesus from the storms in the midst of life storms um, now and here? And this past week, I spoke to um, I mean, two, two people and asked them about this, about what, what does it mean for Jesus to be your Savior, to help you deal with life storms? And I got a couple of different answers, and I have kind of about three main answers, uh, and let me put them up. So one of them uh, so all three main answers kind of relate to this, and this is the idea in Second Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 16 to 18. So Paul speaks about how, verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, the sufferings of this world, this light and momentary affect, uh, affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are, are eternal. And so in some measure, how do we not lose heart? How do we deal with the storms of this life? It's by looking to the things unseen. And um, here are kind of three ways that people brought up when, when I spoke to them this week. And one is the idea of God being in control and it is sovereignty. And this is especially important to me personally. Um, some of you are aware that in this past about two years, um, uh, it's been um, a somewhat stormy season for me, especially in uh, conflict uh, with my um, wife's family. And there were some um, hard days and frustrating days and times when I felt um, treated poorly. And, and I'm sure that I contributed you know, in sin to, to this as well. But for, from my point of view, it, 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 was, it was hard. But one of those things that gave me nourishment and, and succor and life throughout this time that allowed me to hang on and, and move through this was the idea that God is in control, to look to that thing which is unseen, that no matter what happens, no matter what someone says or does, no matter how unjust it may appear to me, um, I know that it has come from the hand of God who is in control. And that, for me, um, is a very important part of the way that I deal with um, suffering and life's storms. Um, I, I have a friend who, um, he, he's a medic, um, he, he's a doctor, and uh, has had some hard times dealing with uh, work. Uh, he's in training, and therefore um, a lot of, um, uh, I mean, basically he doesn't have a life. Like, he works like 100 hours per week, and uh, it you know, takes a huge toll on his family and life and all sorts of other things. And uh, a big part of that means that you know, he's single and he's lonely and it hurts him, and uh, he's worried that you know, he's kind of 
letting go of his entire life as he's kind of becoming a specialist in something else. And for him, one of the things that are most important to him are the idea of God's imminence, of God's presence with him, of God's nearness to him, of God as, as Jesus is Emmanuel, the God is with us. And for him, even though he's going through all of that tough, tough days, for him, it isn't so much thinking about the fact that God is in control over that as much as the idea that God has stepped into this world and stays with him and his abiding presence of the Holy Spirit stays with him and he is never alone. And for him, that's one way in which he deals with looking at the things unseen to deal with life's storms, that God is near him in, in the work of the Spirit. Um, someone else um, I spoke to this week, and um, she's someone that's dealt with uh, depression and uh, dealt with the struggles of work over many, many years and has thought at some times about leaving work. And there were times when um, she was on medications for the depression and, and had thought about killing herself. And um, one of the least happy people that I know. And when I spoke to her about, uh, you know, how does, what, what does it mean that you're a Christian and that you're able to deal with life storms? How does he, de how does he affect the way that you deal with your storms? And for her, her answer was looking at God's redemption, his restoration, the fact that things are terrible right now, but I know that this is not all there is, that God will restore all things, that God will put things, all things right. So th those are ways in which we look to Christ through our storms. Now, these are not the only ways. There are other theologically sound ways that the Scripture speaks about, but maybe this is one of those questions that you can ask in your cell group. Um, as you speak with one another, how do you deal with um, life storms? What does it mean for Christ to be your Lord through those things? And as we learn from one another, uh, we may be better able to deal with them. So how does Christmas affect the way that we relate to life storms? And I've said the first major thing is Christmas is about the coming of a new king, and he saves us from the storms. He saves us from sin, and he saves us from suffering through his sovereignty and his imminence and his nearness and his redemption of all things. Um, I want to, I'm not finished, by the way, uh, with the sermon. We still have about, you know, like uh, maybe about 15 minutes to go, but I want to pause for a while and I would like to pray now. Would you join me in prayer? I want to give you a minute to... Um, just reflect on this and think on your own, the storms in your own life and what it means for you to come to Jesus for refuge in those storms. Would you pray with me? Um, God, we look to you. Uh, we remember who you are in all of your truth, in all of your fullness. God, help us. Um, we look to the storms in our lives and the things that are hard, the things that we struggle with. And God, we want to come to you with those things and find refuge in you with those things and to be able to sing with Zechariah that you bring salvation 
to us that you save us from all things, whether that means now or in the future. Um, help us. Help us to find the security in, in God the Father's sovereignty. Help us find your nearness in God the Spirit's presence with us. Help us find the hope of the redemption of all things through God the Son's redemption of all things, your atonement for all things. Help us to anchor ourselves in you that uh, whether we're going through storms now or when the storms come, we will not be shaken. We will not be blown aside. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Uh, sorry, not yet finished. So, um, the next thing is this, and that is um, Christmas is the coming of a new king who saves us from the storms. And the second thing that he does is this. And we, in order to answer that, I want you to look at what Christmas means for Jesus. And um, this, I mean, another way to think about it, technical term is the incarnation. What, what does it mean for Jesus to become incarnate? And so we're going to look at John. And we're going to look at the front and the end of John. So, John chapter 1, um, verse 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what did Christmas mean for Jesus? What did the incarnation mean for Jesus? It meant this. It meant in the beginning he was with God and he's sharing the glory of the Father and he leaves that and he comes to his people, Israel. And when he comes, they don't receive him. They reject him. And yet he became flesh and he dwelt among his people. So this is what Christmas meant for Jesus. Um, the Apostle Paul reflects on this in the book of Philippians. It's another view on this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, as he quotes uh, a song, an early hymn. Uh, he speaks of Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. Now, you and I, we celebrate the coming of the King, coming of Jesus. What does it look like from his point of view? It was an exercise in emptying self, in being made a servant, and becoming obedient to the point of death. And that's what Jesus meant, what, what Christmas or coming to the earth meant for Jesus. Um, now, if this is so, if John speaks, and John and uh, the, the Apostle Paul speaks about Christmas as being about God, about Jesus being with God, coming to his own and being rejected, about Jesus emptying himself and being found in the form of a servant. Um, what, what does this mean for us in the way that we think about Jesus, in the way that we think about Christmas? Um, John doesn't leave us guessing because he records Jesus' words in chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, and he's speaking to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. 
And Jesus says, I have given them, he's speaking to God, I have given them, the disciples, the word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. When we think about Christmas, we must remember what it meant for Jesus to become incarnate because that tells us something about what Christmas should mean for us. And so how does Christmas affect the way that we relate to life's storms? Yes, Jesus saves us from the storms, but he sends us into some of the storms. Um, I've told, I spoke, I think, last Christmas about this, this one um, uh, uh, friend of mine who uh, studied in the same class as I did. Every single Christmas, he's Christian, every single Christmas from when he graduated in med school, he's been working. And um, sometimes, you know, he, he's asked, you know, um, and, and uh, something like two years ago, he was asked by one of the um, Muslim uh, nurses in the hospital, uh, why are you working? Aren't you Christian? Aren't you supposed to be on holiday today? Because most people take off on their selected holiday. And he says, no, because Christmas meant Jesus left his place of comfort to come to the earth. On Christmas, I work because I have to serve the people who are sick and come to the emergency department. Um, and... I, I was inspired by him, and I'm kind of trying to do that as well now, but uh, probably not as garang as him. And this is part of Lewis and I's thinking as we move to Sierra Leone as well, because, um, I mean, in the long run, we're, we're preparing to work in East Timor um, for, for a couple of years, but as this year, we had some opportunity to spend time overseas. Um, because of political developments in Timor, I, we can't go there right now, uh, the, the opportunities weren't there. But this other opportunity came up in Sierra Leone. Um, and I can think of very few other places in the world that are, are of greater need right now. And for me, um, th- this is what, it me- what Christmas means to me. And this is what um, following Christ faithfully means to me. That I must go to, you know, to, to, to the places that are hardest, to the places where... There is need, the places where I may be able to be incarnate and serve, uh, and that's part of the reason why we're going to Sierra Leone. Now, the thing is this. As I think about going to Sierra Leone, as talking to one of my friends about um, you know, going there and being part of the storm, he went and told me, you know, actually, Raj, you're not very good at this. <laughs> Allah, like, give me a little bit of credit. Allah. You know, I'm like, going there. But, um, and I was offended, but, but what he said is this, that, Actually, you don't do the being involved in the storms of other people's lives very well. I mean, um, yes, you're good at the technical thing, at the teaching and the public health and the training and, and, and you know, like you teach and, and in church and stuff like that. But in terms of being involved in the lives and the storms of the lives of other people, you're actually not very good at that. And I hate it when people say stuff like that because this guy was right. Um, and, and this is something I'm... I, I struggle with. Uh, my, my wife is a lot better than me at this because I can do the technical thing, but I mean, my cell group members know this. When they are going through their personal storms and, and I want to be somehow involved and, and, and helpful and to show the love of Christ to them, I just don't know what to do. Um, I'm, I feel helpless. I feel out of my depth. I, maybe it's a personality thing, but I, I just don't do this uh, very well. And, and for us, this is... Um, 
this is one of my fears as I go to Sierra Leone, and that I will be there as a kind of technical guy and uh, you know preach the gospel in the um, in the campus ministry and all of that. But when it comes to the individual Sierra Leoneans uh, and the people that I have the opportunity to minister to, that I will I will not have the courage to to step out and do that. Um, so pray for me. Um, you can also pray for this for Louis, but you don't need to pray that much for her because she is better than this. You can pray for other stuff for her. Uh, but, but pray for this and, um, and help me, uh, keep me accountable. That, you know, once in a while when you drop me an email or I drop you an email, just ask me, you know, have you been involved in the storms of other people's lives? Uh, because I'm afraid that I, I will be tempted not to. Um, one of those kind of stormy things, I mean, and, and exactly what is the storm that you're called to? What is the thing that you're supposed to go out and do? Uh, probably will differ from person to person. And what thing you find difficult is going to be different from person to person. I find this frightening. I mean, this is, you know, we, we have heard the call for, you know, to come to be at crash. And my goodness, it all, my heart always beats a little bit faster when I think about that. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like kids, like, like in small doses, like in individual... No, but, but when you put like three or four of them together, it just frightens the pants off me. I mean, it's like, it becomes like all of these arms and legs and, and, and like, you know, uh, and I just don't know what to do. Uh, and so, you know, when I hear, uh, you know, Pastor Chiming speak about the call to volunteers in Kresh, I sometimes find myself thinking, thank God I'm only going to a place full of Ebola and malaria and not having to deal with it. Uh, but, but anyway, the point is... Um, what exactly those storms are, what are exactly are the difficult things in other people's lives for you to be involved with is going to change from person to person. Some things that are easy for one person aren't going to be easy for the others. Some of the things that I feel called to, going to Sierra Leone and helping with the health system reconstruction and the work with the Muslims, that's not necessarily the same thing that you're called to go into. But the question still remains, into which storm is Jesus sending you? Because if you're not finding yourself being sent into any storm, it's possible that you're not obeying Jesus who sends you in the same way that Christ, the, that God the Father sent him. And so which is the storm that you need to be involved with? Um, who is the person that you know? Which is the difficulty that you know? Which is the hurting person that you know? Who's the one who doesn't know Christ that you know? Whose life you need to be involved in? I want us to look at the song again. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire in here is delightful, and we've got no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. So is this a Christian song? And I will cry, no, we do have a place to go. Um, it's partly... Christian, yes, we do find refuge in Christ from the storms. But that's not enough. He sends us into some of the storms. Would you pray with me? And we'll end here. I'll give you a minute just to, um, to speak with God on your own. Would you pray with me? Um, 
God, I know that for some people, um, not everyone, but for some people, these are seasons of storms for them. And that you call them and say, I'm your king and I give you refuge. I give you refuge, I save you from sin. I save you from every storm in your life, now or at the new creation. But even now, I'm in control of the storms. I'm with you through those storms. And I will make them calm, and one day there will be no more storms. God, for some of us, um, that's what we need to hear, and we need to come to you for that refuge. And God, I pray for, for those of us who are in that position. God, I ask for your comfort. God, I ask for the reminder of, uh, of you and of what you mean to them. I ask that you would grant them the faith to hold on to what is unseen so that when that time comes, um, now or in the future, they will cling to you and not be shaken. And God, I pray for some of us, not all of us, but some of us who have taken refuge from all storms and have been disobedient in uh, staying indoors. That when a world is needy and lost and suffering, and when those around us and our neighbors and our friends um, are suffering, those of us who have chosen to to not be involved. Um, and, and I speak for myself, and, and I know for some of us, but forgive us. Forgive us. Help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Move us. And send us out in the way that you came to the earth what we remember on Christmas Day. Send us out the way that you came to us. All this in the name of Jesus. The service is over. Um, see you next week.